Welcome to part two of our three-part podcast series, CRST the Podcast, Policy, Practice, and Promise, Billing and Coding for Telemedicine in the COVID-19 Era. We're glad that you've joined us to hear David Goldman and a faculty panel including Alice Epitropoulos, Scott Schachter, and Mary Pat Johnson share their pearls on telemedicine efficiency, including the best technologies and their most appropriate applications. This program is editorially independent and was supported with advertising by Allergan, an AbV company. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and not necessarily those of Allergan, an AbV company, or its affiliates. Now, let's get to the panel. I, I think some of the reason a lot of physicians uh, complain that the reimbursements pour on telemedicine is because they're doing it inefficiently. You know, they're telling a patient, uh, click on this link, log in here, and then the patient's late, the doctor's sitting around by a computer waiting to log in. Uh, they're taking all the history themselves. You know, in your own practice, you don't run this way. Patients are usually waiting for the physician, not the other way around, and you have technicians that are doing a lot of the legwork before you get into the session with them. So if you can mimic that same thing, sort of like what I do where the patient's scheduled for a time, and whenever they log in, the technician goes to them first to get the history. The doctor just has to go in knowing the patient's ready, primed to go. The history's taken. They can review it and then evaluate the patient really makes it a shorter interaction and, and will give a sense of more value uh, to the practitioner. And you're using an iPad for that? I mean, it depends on which, uh, which software you use. So in my office, it's either iPad or computer. Usually it's more of a computer. Uh, we have one computer in a, an exam room that's not being used at the time. So we'll just log in there. And when the patient logs in, we'll use the webcam to discuss with the patient. And then I'll go from the rooms that I examine patients in over to this room for a quick moment, talk to the patient, and then I leave, go back. And then the next technician that's available next time a patient logs in, we'll check in with them, take the history, et cetera. And we'll, we'll work them in between the patients throughout the day. I'm currently using an app uh, uh, designed for vision source called Urgency which is pretty handy. You know, a lot of these have the ability to, to upload pictures. It actually has an acuity uh, function built in, depending on your phone, it will tell you what distance to hold that chart. Uh, so I like it. You know, I think any of the, there's a lot of good options out there for a while. I use something called Mend, which is an online service. Um, uh, there, I Care Live I used as well. So there's a lot of different applications. What have you been using, David? So I've been using actually multiple. I think that's one pearl, um, you know, for all doctors out there, you should have multiple um, ability to tell and communicate with your patient in case something crashes. It's always good to have a backup. Um, I use a combination of doxy.me of the Doximity uh, app, as well as uh, my EMR, which is Modernizing Medicine, has a built-in uh, telecommunication app as well that I'll use. And so depending on the patient, their ability, what kind of audiovisual capability they have at home, who's with them to assist will kind of help guide which one will be my, my choice for them. Uh, but they all have their you know, advantages and disadvantages. And on the whole, I find they work quite well. How do you schedule them into your day? So that's a great question. You know, before um, we opened up our clinic again, everything was essentially telemedicine unless it was an emergency I had to see in the office. Uh, now we, we schedule the patients that want to be seen via telemedicine between clinic patients. So we'll give them a time, uh, but just like with, um, you know, our clinic patients can expect they might not be seen exactly at the time of their appointment. So we warn them ahead of time, you know, we'll schedule you for say 11 a.m. Please make sure you're logged into the app by 11. And typically one of my technicians will go ahead and do a um, history taking with them prior to 
the uh, interaction just like they would in the office so that when I go in, everything's kind of primed in the chart, ready to go. I'll have the chart on either an iPad or a separate window and the, and the patient telecommunication in the other. And when I get into that uh, interaction, it's usually in between two patients. I won't go at exactly 11 o'clock. If I'm with a patient at 1058, I finish that interaction and then go into the other room where the computer's set up and ready to have the, the telecommunication. But I find that on the whole, especially with a technician taking a history prior to my going into the room, it really, as you mentioned before, history is where it's at with these visits. And so if all of that is really taken uh, in good detail prior, it minimizes the amount of time that I have to be online with the patient and can really uh, speed things up from an efficacy standpoint with the uh, clinic. But how about both of you guys? History is remarkable how, gosh, somebody, somebody told me about a book recently from several, several years ago that said you could diagnose about 80% of stuff just by history alone without actually seeing the eye. But it's remarkable how much you can really, I think in practice we tend to, I tend to anyway, throw them behind the slit lamp and, and I listen to what they're saying as I look at them, but sort of this molding of uh, objective findings with history versus interrogation on history. I, I've been, it's been a lot of fun. I like that part of it. I, I was going to say, just to kind of continue on with that point, so many of my patients, you know, kind of scoffed at the idea of doing telemedicine and says, I don't think it's really going to, you know, it it's, doesn't make sense. Yeah, you can't see my eyes over the phone. But then after the call, they kind of changed their mind. And they said, you know, I'm glad that we did this because it really did, you know, it, you know, you were able to kind of help me. And, you know, so, you know, again, you know, I think that was just a, uh, uh, it was gratifying to kind of hear. And no masks required. Right. No masks necessary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it certainly is nice to see the patient's faces once again. Well, you know, how much of an impact did the removal of these, you know, billing and regulatory barriers have on your practices? For me, that changed everything. I mean, I don't think it was really a financially viable option before. You know, there wasn't, uh, the, the reimbursement was so low, it sort of penalized you, in my opinion, for taking on telemedicine and removing the barriers, reducing the HIPAA stuff and, and also paying more equal or equal essentially to coming into the practice. That to me made it a viable option for us. It just before that, it really wasn't. Right. No, I agree. You know, I mean, telehealth is really uh, you know, given our patients access uh, to their doctors. Uh, CMS actually reported an average of about 11,000 visits a week uh, prior to COVID. Uh, and then that increased to about one and a half million uh, per week uh, during the pandemic. Wow. So it's, yeah, pretty significant. Yeah, when you think about that from an exposure perspective, that clearly has significant benefits on the population at large because of Certainly, some of those 1.5 million patients had COVID, I'm sure. Right. Well, there, you know, to our audience that's watching this, are there any pearls um, regarding telemedicine that, that you would have? And, and Mary, you can certainly weigh in on this as well. Well, I don't have any clinical pearls because I'll defer to the three of you. But I do have some interesting things that clients have told us along the way in terms of how they set the whole arrangement up. You know, patients are coming in, even now, in the, in the area of coming back to the practice, the safety measures they have, getting their temperature checked on the way in, 
Um, I visited a practice last week. The first question was, have you been out of state? And I said, well, actually, I only flew into state yesterday, so there's a problem. They take my temperature every time I leave the building. Um, so getting the staff in tune with what the new patient flow even in the building is going to be like while still trying to navigate the telemedicine. And some have been very creative, drive-through pressure checks, um, hybrid exams where we minimize patient time by doing the, the telemedicine or the telehealth physical or, his, excuse me, history portion first and then only present for the essential elements of the exam, like the fundus exam. So um, hats off to this, the profession of ophthalmology. Everyone's been very creative, very innovative to make sure patient care didn't get a little hiccup in it. You know, um, we, we actually have a, a template uh, for telemedicine uh, to kind of help with documentation, uh, including a consent, uh, mode of communication, uh, kind of notes on, the conversation with the diagnosis and a plan. Um, I actually have my scribe uh, helping me with the visit. Um, and at the end of the call, uh, we schedule a follow-up visit, whether it's virtual or uh, live. And then we also document the, the amount of time uh, that we spent on each visit. And, and I think for my part, you know, what we're using this a lot for, and it's gonna settle out and it's gonna be a hybrid, um, but for when I, when I start patients on some sort of medical therapy, we're using this as really a compliance driver. Glaucoma is what, about 50%, dry eyes probably lower than that. So we check in with patients more frequently than we used to. Did you get the medication? Could you afford it? Are you tolerating any, any side effects? Um, any, any effect on your vision or is there excessive burning or stinging or anything that you wanna share with it? Are you using it as directed versus PRN? And we found that these sort of just virtual check-ins, I don't want to say, use the word check-in, virtual visits just uh, to encourage compliance at that one or two week mark versus waiting maybe two, two weeks to a month or longer to see somebody back. That's been really appreciated by patients. And I really think it's, it's, it's I can't tell you, just anecdotally, it seems to be improving compliance. Yeah, I, I agree. I want to hear what uh, what pearls you've uh, thought of. Uh, You're so innovative and cutting edge. So what have you done different? <laughs> well, I mean, so obviously with the pandemic, when we were locked down, it was uh, primarily Dell Medicine almost all the way. I mean, a few pearls for that was just, you know, most patients would use their iPhone. So we would make sure if they could to have someone with them um, to hold the camera. Not only does it help just focusing in on the eye, but if you use the rear camera on a phone instead of the front camera, the, the pixels are way better. You get a much better image, um, especially for something like ophthalmology where you really need a high definition close-up picture. really helps to use the back camera instead of the front camera on a phone. Um, as things have kind of opened up more, we're, we're finding where our patients are comfortable. So some still only want to do a telemedicine visit, which I agree definitely helps with the compliance. Others will do sort of a drive-through clinic where they'll come through the parking lot. We can use an eye care tonometer to check their intracular pressure for the glaucoma patients, just make sure they're not too high, and then they kind of drive off and, and we follow up via telehealth. For those that want to come in but want minimal interaction, again, we do have the eye care tonometers. We've had Optos camera um, to minimize the time. Uh, if they don't, you know, have any symptoms that require dilation, we can at least get an image of the fundus and make sure there's nothing going on in the asymptomatic patient um, and not keep them in a dilation room with other potential patients and exposures. So it really just depends on the patient, but we've been trying to come up with different algorithms depending on the patient's comfort level. Yeah, we're requiring imaging of everybody just like you. We do an Optos plus um, um, 
an IVU scan of uh, retina or macula and optic nerve that uh, so we're not having to have them in the practice longer if they're dilated. Like you said, they've got flashes, floaters, or, or diabetic, perhaps you're going to have to do that. But for most patients, we can just do imaging. Are you dilating patients that come into your office for like a, a complete exam? If you Comprehensive, not right now, no. Not unless we have some compelling reason to. Regarding the technology, do you guys feel like telemedicine has a place to stay once things kind of go back to whatever normal will be? I do. I, I think, again, like I said, I, I think um, for high-risk patients, perhaps, uh, the more we can do that, the better. The less time they're in the practice, the better uh, for, for everybody, as long as we feel that we get the necessary information to make appropriate diagnosis and treatment on that patient. We'll find a place for it. I'll continue to do those compliance drivers that I'm talking about. Um, if we can encourage patients, especially with all these chalasia, and Alice, you said you may re revisit that uh, in a minute, but with all the chalasia we're seeing um, or conjunctivitis, I mean, we've had a lot of smoke here in California and we've got those sorts of patients. There's really no need for them to come in. We can easily manage that remotely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that, it, you know, telemedicine is here to stay. And, you know, I think that it, the, the technology is only going to improve with time. Um, I think that, you know, this will encourage uh, industry to come up with ways that, you know, will allow for, you know, improved diagnostics, um, you know, uh, during these telehealth visits. Thank you for tuning in to part two of our three-part podcast series, CRST the Podcast, Policy, Practice, and Promise, Billing and Coding for Telemedicine in the COVID-19 Era. Please stay tuned for part three of this series as David Goldman, Alice Epitropoulos, Scott Schachter, and Mary Pat Johnson discuss what factors will continue to shape the future of telemedicine in the post-COVID-19 era. This program is editorially independent and was supported with advertising by Allergan, an AbbVie company. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and not necessarily those of Allergan, an AbbVie company, or its affiliates. <laughs>